Exodus chapter 20. We're still on the Ten Commandments. We're number nine. Number nine. Hallelujah. We got one more next Wednesday. I'll finish it up. And uh, we'll get on another horse. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, but I'll tell you what, this is no horse. This has been good word, the word of God. I've, I've enjoyed preparing for it as much as I enjoy presenting it to you. And uh, it has really opened my eyes to a lot of things I had not considered. But uh, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Get to where no surgeon's scalpel can ever reach. And uh, that's to the heart. And, um, and it's, it's an important part of our life. We need to study the Word of God more. It's the Word of God that gives us faith and strengthens our faith. For faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word. Amen. Exodus chapter 20. And we'll begin with uh, verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Nine simple words for the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And every word in the Bible is important. Every word is important. And this word tells us plainly that uh, we should not bear false witness against our fellow man our neighbor. But it means a whole lot more than that. And that's what we're going to focus on. Jesus, thank you for your word, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord God, for your presence where you said two or three are gathered together. There you are in the midst of them. And we stand on your word and your promise. And we go forward in your name. And we pray for victory. We pray, oh God, for uh, an application of this word to each and every one of our hearts. For it was given by you that we may judge ourselves seriously honestly and perfect, perfectly. And so, Lord, we pray now that you help us, O oh God, and open our understanding that we may know how to apply this in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And let the church say amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. Hallelujah. This commandment plainly states that it is wrong to lie on or against somebody else. God hates lying. I said God hates lying. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 through 19 to put it into context. The spirit speaking to the writer says this, these six things doth the Lord hate. You know, God hates some things. That word is not very popular nowadays, but I'll tell you, hate is hate. And God says, there's some things I hate. Six things the Lord doth hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. And abomination is a stronger word than hate. It means absolute detest. It's detested, an abomination unto him. One, a proud look. Two, a lying tongue. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Now look at this. A false witness that speaketh lies. Two things on lying in one breath, so to speak. 
a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. That means when you say something that makes a person, a brother, angry at somebody else because of what you said about him. You try to divide and conquer. Where you try to get friends by making one friend hate the other one just so that, you, that you, they would like you. That's sown discord. God said, I hate it. More than that, I despise it. It's interesting to me when, when you read the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, we see how Satan thought to bring that very first revival to a screeching halt when he tempted Ananias and Sapphira to lie. They lied to the church leadership by saying that all the proceeds of the sale of their property was given to the church. We mentioned this example the last time uh, when we talked about stealing and holding back. And they stole without a doubt because they stole from God because they pledged so much. They said, we'll give everything that we get from the property and we're going to give it to the Lord. We're going to give it to the church. And they held back and then they lied about it. So First and foremost, they conceived this evil when Satan tempted them, and they really stole from God, or they didn't follow through on their pledge. And in this particular example, we use it again not to emphasize the fact that, uh, that they stole, but the fact that they lied about it. They lied to the church. And Peter confronted them and said in verse 3, I read this the last time as well, Ananias he said, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, in other words, in your possession, your property, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? You could have done whatever you wanted to. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? We'll deal more with this subject than the last commandment, the next commandment. Next week, why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all of them that heard these things. Notice Paul, uh, Peter here said, thou hast not lied unto men. It was more than just Peter who was a witness to this thing. There was several witnesses. There were elders. It wasn't just Peter's word, others. And Peter was quick to note, you didn't just lie to men. You didn't just lie to the church. You have lied to God. See, Jesus never separates himself from his body. He is the head, and we're part of that body. And he is not separated from us. And when you lie to the elders, you're lying to God. When you mistreat the elders, you're mistreating God. Isn't that why uh, Jesus appearing to Saul? He says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why? Because Christ is not separated from his church. But Paul, at that time, Saul was persecuting the church, his body. He says, why are you persecuting me? So be careful how you speak to the elders. And be careful... If you, uh, if you say things that, that are not exactly correct, let's just put it plainly. Don't lie. 
because God takes us seriously. And I'm not saying that you're going to drop dead. That's up to God. He can do whatever he wants. He did here. He has his reasons. But I'll be quick to add that this is the first and last time we're reading the New Testament about somebody dropping dead and being killed by God because of lying. I can see in the Old Testament there's several cases. Even in the New Testament, Peter, didn't Peter lie? Three, he denied. I know not the man. But it's the first and only time we read about a New Testament. And I think the reason is given to us there to make sure that we understand how serious God is about this sin. And that we use it, use truth wisely and apply it to us. So notice again, uh, it was not men, not just Peter. I mean, it was men, not just Peter that, that, that held him under account. And three hours, hours later, the same thing happened to, to Sapphira, his wife. And the Bible says that great fear came upon all of the church and upon as many as, as heard these things. And it wasn't because of murder. Notice that. They didn't die because of murder. It wasn't adultery. It wasn't idolatry, but dishonesty. And God took it seriously. And again, so why did God do this? Well, because he wants us to see how serious he is about this sin. Now, hold on one second while I stand. Brother Brian, since you're close, on my desk is a stack of papers or worksheets that we forgot to hand out. I prepared them two days ago, and I was so prepared that I was totally unprepared for the passing of this out. I'll need a couple of volunteers to make sure everybody gets a copy of this. And what you can't uh, fill in already because of what material has been covered, hallelujah, then uh, we'll go back to it and we'll cover it later. Hallelujah. And we'll give you the answers. Oh, somebody say I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me, singing glory, glo hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I'm on my way to heaven, and Jesus lifted me. Jesus, hallelujah. Everybody got a handout? If you don't have a handout, lift your hand. Praise God, there's one. All right, thank you, Jesus. Hope you got a pen or a pencil. Praise God. All right, why did God do this? We're talking about why did Ananias and Sapphira die? Well, he wants us to see how serious he is about sin. Start at that note. I believe I do have a note, uh, a line on that particular question or that statement. And he also did this because he wants us to judge ourselves seriously when it comes to lying. And he wants us to know that God calls for honesty from us. He wants you and I to be honest. And also because God is more interested in having a holy church than just a huge church. Hello? He's not interested in just having a crowd. If he just wanted a crowd, he can have a pop concert. He can have a football game. In Jesus' name. 
He's not after a crowd. He's after honesty, an honest crowd, a disciple, not just a Christian. In fact, you know, Jesus never called his followers Christian. People called him that. Jesus called his followers disciples, not just believers, disciples. It's a big difference between being called a Christian disciple. Hallelujah. Christian, somebody believes in God, believes in Jesus Christ. But disciple, that's somebody that took up the cross and the follows after him, denying self. Amen. But thank God, uh, in spite of what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, it didn't stop the revival. That's evident. In fact, Acts 5.14 says, And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes both of men and women. That's Acts 5.14. Amen. I would not like to advertise. I brought this up the last time. I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, if that happened in our church, that, that's not a, an advertising point that we would use, right? You know, join our church. You know, all liars and thieves fall dead. Although I know some people would like for them to, <laughs> especially after you've been robbed. Amen. But that's, that's not the way the gospel works. And again, we only see one example of this. But truthfully, it's the first and last time that we see someone die at the hand of the Lord in, in the New Testament because of lying. And so that doesn't mean that uh, this is any less serious at all because lying is a sin and it does bear eternal consequences. That's something we who take this commandment lightly forget when we choose to fudge a little, when we choose to, you know, to, to not quite say, the truth the way it should be. Revelation 21.8 says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Say that with me. All liars. All liars, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. As born-again Christians, we need to follow the New Testament commands. And this one, too, which exhorts us against lying. Another scripture, Ephesians 4.25, Wherefore, putting away lying, and he's writing to Christians, the church, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Colossians 3.9 tells us, let not one, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man and his deeds. See, lying belongs to the old man, not the new man. Hallelujah. There's a new man walking in my shoes. Some that know that song. I don't know. There's a new man walking in my shoes. Hallelujah. So, really, lying is common to us all. We, we all lied one time or another. Kids lie. Did you do that? Mm -mm. Look what I did. You, know, you did that? Oh, my goodness. It's a masterpiece. You, you drew that? Yeah, I did it all by myself. Hmm. Where do they get that? Mm -hmm. And we've all told lies. White lies, half lies, half truths. Gossip twisted the truth. We had discredited and slandered. We sought to escape blame by, by just, just skirting the truth, you know, just covering ourselves. 
I boasted and exaggerated the truth. <laughs> I caught a fish that big. <laughs> you know? But that's why the Bible pretty much declares all men to be liars. Uh, Psalms 116, 111, I mean 116, 11. I said in my haste, all men are liars. Yes, in haste, liars. But the truth, nevertheless, all men are liars. Romans 3, 4, let God be true, but every man a liar. Every man is a liar. Lying is so common now, it's become mainstream. <laughs> Kids do it. <laughs> the news media do it. Politicians do it. They all feel justified in doing it. God forbid Christians are doing it. False prophets, charlatans who do it for money. And they make big bucks and big business. They do it for profit. The devil does it. He started it all, right? John 8, 44. There, he are, and he's, Jesus here is talking to the Pharisees. And, uh, and the Pharisees weren't all bad, but Jesus used them when they were so legalistic and so traditionalist that they, could, they were so blinded to the truth uh, of the New Testament. But in any case, uh, you know, a lot of people use the word pharisaical and, and use it in a negative connotation. And when somebody particularly is so legalistic. But anyway, I just throw this in for good measure. Usually when people do that, when they call somebody a Pharisee in a modern context, in, the, in a so-called denominational world, they use it to shut down conversation and to intimidate people who believe in the holiness of God. And by that I mean the outward holiness. They want to call, you're a legalist, you're a Pharisee. For believing that modesty is for the New Testament. Grace covers it all. You don't need anything else. No. There's some things that, you know, grace doesn't cover if you're willfully, you know, going against it. Amen. Paul talks about falling from grace, right? Amen. Hallelujah. And so, so there are these words, just like the world uses today in a different context. They, they label you in a certain way that is negative and so, you know, uh, I want to say dis, uh, despicable, 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 blah. but, but they, they, it, it puts you away from them, you know, and, and they look down upon you, and, and, and then they, they don't want you to express your views because you're just a Pharisee. You're being legalist if you do, so don't talk about it, okay? But here, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and Jesus put them in place uh, because, you see, they were contemplating how they could get rid of Jesus and kill him. And that was contrary to the law because there were no witnesses. There's nothing that Jesus did wrong. And yet they were only jealous and envious of him because people were following him by the thousands and he did miracles, signs, and wonders. And then all they could think of was losing their position. And so Jesus upbraided them in, 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 in their plans for murder because Again, he knew their plans. God knows the heart of man. And here are these religious people who know the one God. They're so-called children of Abraham. And, and they've got the covenants. They've got the temple. And they've got the priesthood. They've got the truth. And yet here they are doing something completely contrary to the law by plotting murder. So Jesus says in, in John 8, 44, Ye are of your father the devil. Oh, and in the context of what Brother Green preached this past Sunday, your principal source, your primary source, 
Oh, my goodness, what a great message that was. Put that in that context and understand why these Pharisees got so upset with him and were ready to stone him when he said this to them. So you are of your father. Your father is the devil. That's your principal source. And the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Hallelujah. Lying all began with him. And the devil lied before there was a devil. <laughs> he lied to himself. You know how he lied to himself? Lying to himself that he could displant, dispose and somehow supplant God. I can get rid of him. Really? You have to really delude yourself to, to, to get to that place. But you know, people in the world do today. <laughs> I don't need God. I can do all this thing by myself. Hallelujah. I don't need God. There's no heaven. I'm just, I'm, I'm it. But lying, bearing a false witness, threatens the very foundation of society. And this is why the ninth commandment is so important. See, nothing can survive when it's filled with lies, at least not for long. Families, friendships, businesses, schools, churches, Communities, governments, governments can't last. This is why our, our, our government is crumbling and our society is crumbling. It's because of the absence of truth. It's the part and parcel uh, prophecy being fulfilled of the last days that people will, uh, will be deceiving and, and being deceived. In other words, they're deceived because they're being lied to. And then they're lying themselves and they're propagating that and carrying on and, and passing it on. And that's where we are. And there's a whole host of subjects that people are lying about. And, uh, and so, so we're not going to last long. Again, if, if we continue down this pathway and we supplant truth, the truth about genders, the truth about God, the truth about what is right and what is wrong, it's going to fall apart. Why? Because you cannot build on lies. It will never stand, never has, and never will. And so any organization or group will collapse and, uh, in the wake of mistrust and, and broken relationships. Yeah, well, nothing can break up a relationship faster than lying about that person or to each other. And all of a sudden you find out, you know, that they've not been telling you the truth. What the, how would that make you feel? you got a good friend. You thought we're a good friend, and they're lying to you all the time. How can you trust that person? Why would you want to be friends with them? How can you depend upon them? You can't. And so a friendship, no matter how good it was at the beginning, will collapse. And you put that on a grand scale in society, in the community. It can't last long simply because when there's no trust, no trust in your elected officials, no trust in your local officials, no trust in your church leaders, uh, it, 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 in fact, I think this is probably why Jesus asked the question. He says, and will the Son of Man find faith when he comes? Find faith in the earth when he returns. Because faith is used interchangeably sometimes with trust. And trust is eroding at all levels in our society. Uh, and some of that, believe it or not, can, can filter into the church as well. And we have to be careful of that. 
And, uh, and so I, this is why uh, it, I bear so much responsibility. I need to walk as straight as I can to make sure that I don't ever breed mistrust and, and give you an occasion to be unfaithful simply because of my bad behavior. I would receive and I will receive the greater damnation, as Jesus told the Pharisees, the greater condemnation. Uh, and, and so we have to, as leaders in particular, have to be very careful in how we walk, what we say and how we say it, particularly when it comes to saying truth. Um, and have to do it with love, that's for sure. But anyway, any organization or group is going to collapse in the wake of this kind of behavior and this mistrust and, and broken relationships. And this is what the, the, the ninth commandment is all about. And this is why it, it's concerned about us. Now, when I get into this commandment, there's, there's the dual aspect to this. There's two things that this statement, this, this ninth commandment makes. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Um, first of all, it refers to, as it does in Exodus 20, verse uh, 16, as we read, the, it, it refers to the testimony of a witness given in a legal court. Testimony of witness given in legal courts. And then, as it is in Deuteronomy 5.20, when the law is repeated, it refers to speech spoken against a fellow human being. And I want you to notice these two differences because uh, together, collectively, in both instances, it gives you a clear picture of what false witness is. And the, and the key lies in the word false. Thou shalt not bear false witness witness. And so when you look at the Hebrew word in Exodus 20:16 for false, uh, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. The Hebrew word is sheker, sheker, which means untrue. And it refers to, guess what? Public speech. It's when you're publicly testifying in a court of law with other people, or you're publicly making a statement about somebody that is untrue. It's it included, it particularly it's illegal, in the legal sense, it is testifying, testifying like a court of law. But it also means in public saying something against somebody. And then the word in Hebrews, uh, rather in the Hebrew language in Deuteronomy 5.20, the word for false used there is shav, which means insincere, empty, and frivolous. Insincere, empty, and frivolous. So not only is it, does it mean saying something untrue, but something that is insincere, frivolous, and empty. Those three things. In other words, that refers, believe it or not, to private conversation. The, the previous one, Shekhar, uh, untrue, refers to public statements. It's in a court of law. But the insincere, empty, and frivolous word for shav is referred to false in private. It's speech in private. And so, thou shalt not bear false witness in a court of law. <laughs> if you're called to give a testimony even today in a court of law, you must tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And it's the same if you are a defendant, which is the person being accused, or if you're the plaintiff, which is the accuser. Both have to tell the truth. And if you lie in a court of law, then you commit what's called perjury. It is uh, something that comes with a penalty and punishment. 
And, uh, you know, uh, if you tell a lie, I think I've mentioned this before, if you lie to your neighbor right now, there's really not really much of a consequence that you bear except you lose somebody else's trust and their friendship. And that, that is pretty valuable in itself, but no real punishment. But when you go to the court of law and commit perjury, you lie there. Then you have, you know, the law bearing down on you, and, and there, are, there is a, a, a penalty of anywhere from a year to $10,000 in fine as well. I don't know what the different penalties are in a state versus a federal court, but both of those have, courts have their own punishment set. And the higher the court, the higher the, the, the fine and the punishment. Now imagine when you get to the highest court, where the Lord Jesus is the judge. So now this is why we see in Revelation 21.8 that all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth forever and ever. When you're lying and you don't reconcile with God and you stop your lying, amen, God's going to judge you in a higher court. And when you get into his court, if you don't have the blood applied, if you haven't confessed your sins and turned away from it, you're going to give an account for it and you're going to pay the price. And it's much higher than anything you'd pay for down here on this land. You can get away with it in this country, but you're never going to get away with it with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The perjury. And, they, and when you go into the Hebrew courts, they had strict rules about who could testify, for example. Uh, strict rules for, for witnesses in court. Nobody, for example, could be condemned in, on the testimony of just one, one witness. There had to be at least two witnesses. And apart from 2 Corinthians 13.1, we get this by the, uh, by the Spirit uh, through the mouth of, of Paul says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. That's Old Testament principle in a New Testament covenant. You got somebody that comes against an elder with accusation, don't ever receive it except by the mouth of two or three witnesses. You just can't take one person's accusation about anything, particularly when it comes to church elder. That's the word. But it's embedded in the ninth commandment and the, the, the details attached to witnessing. Who can be a witness? Amen. So the witnesses often had to be separated and interviewed separately to rule out hearsay. So one can't say, you know, uh, about, I heard that he did this. Well, you can't testify because you don't know. You haven't seen it. You haven't heard it yourself. And you can't testify uh, in, in reality, uh, as a witness. And if there were any contradictions between two witnesses, that it was tossed out. This is why even today in, the, in our legal system, witnesses, they're interviewed separately. Are there any inconsistencies in their, in their witness and in, in, in what they have observed or what they have seen? Like one guy says, yeah, the killer, I saw him, he had a blue hat on. Now we said, no, you know, and they put him separately, he had a red hat on. They said, oh, look. That's it. Their testimony's ruled out. Sorry, we can't use you. And so in the Hebrew court of the law, there were also strict rules about who could testify and who could offer evidence. You could not be the defendant's father or brother or any other relative. Uh, whoever 
could gain to be an heir and profit from the conviction of the accused relative. How smart that was. See, if you're part of the same family and you're in the lineage of inheriting land and property, and you can't testify against somebody because you're, you're envying, your greed for power or for their wealth could cause you to lie against them. And to rule that out, sorry, you can't testify. A, neither a friend or an enemy could be a witness. I get that. You think that rules out a whole lot of people. No, but by their definition, a friend was defined as one who had been the defendant's groomsman, for example. Somebody was part in your wedding party, and he was there as your best man or groomsman. He's for you as your friend. Mm -mm. Nope, you can't testify. Why? Because you're too close to him. And your friendship and your heart may lean in favor of him and against truth. And you may just bend the truth. Or cover for him because you like him so much or you're bonded so much or you love him so much. That's why for the longest time in America, a spouse, a wife could not testify on court against her husband and vice versa. It's our law. Why? For the same reason it's embedded in this. Now, when you talk about an enemy, an enemy was defined as someone who had not spoken to the accused person for at least three days because of a difference. Why that? Well, because it's interesting. In three days, they expected you to resolve your difference. If you didn't resolve your differences in three days, there's something wrong. You're no friend of his. You, you know, you've got serious issues and you're probably an enemy. You know, we're not going to let you testify. Because you got an axe to grind. And we want the truth to come out. And we want to make our judgment the best that we can. We want, to, we want the truth. We don't want the favor of one side or the other. What's more, God is watching. And we're in His sight. Now, if you pass all these tests above, then there was an additional rule to make a false witness think twice before lying against someone. If you were found guilty of trying to convict an innocent man or a woman, you would suffer the same punishment that you intended for them. That's in Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 19. You would suffer the same punishment as you intended for them to have. If the penalty was for beating, then you were beaten. If the penalty called for death by stoning, then you were stoned. And interesting, the other countries uh, had similar rules, uh, more blatant and, and, well, I can say, can say less cruel, but, I mean, Rome, for example, the penalty for false witness was to be thrown down from an 80-foot-tall rock. If you were found a lie as a witness... Now, in Egypt, the false witness had his nose and ears amputated. And in several places in the Far East, they sewed their mouths shut in a public place. Maybe it's a lie. Take them out of them. Sewed their mouth up. No anesthesia back then. No Novocaine or Lidocaine or whatever. Hallelujah. Ouch. Whew. Boy. 
That would, that would discourage somebody from lying, eh? And there was one more rule. If your testimony convicted a defendant and as the leading witness, you were required to cast the first stone at him to execute him. You had to be part of the execution of the punishment or the beating or whatever or execution and capital punishment. So we have to remember that our God is just and he is insistent on justice which is why he laid down such detailed instructions to eliminate false witnesses. Innocent people are punished and the guilty go free when someone testifies lies. I don't like to see innocent people put to jail and punished. I don't like guilty people running free. It's not right. It's unjust. Just so they can go back and do it again. In Acts 16, 13, excuse me, Acts chapter 6, verse 13 through 14, Stephen was tried and executed, as you remember, because of false testimony. And then we see the example of Jesus at his trial in Matthew 26, verse 59 through 61. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. Why? Because there was conflicting opinions, conflicting things. At the last, finally, in other words, came two false witnesses and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The temple of God. It took over 40 years to build. You're going to build here? You're going to build up in three days? Hallelujah. Jesus was convicted on that by false witnesses. That's public. That's public testimony. Now, let's look at, let's look at some of the other aspect of, of, of false witness, false, and that is private speech, insincere, empty, frivolous speech. And there are several, several forms and, uh, or kinds of lies that this covers. Uh, which we must guard against. Obviously, one is gossip. Deuteronomy chapter 5, that uh, teaches that there's, there's no room in the church for false, empty, or frivolous witness against anyone. Everybody say anyone. And I know it's easier to, to gossip now than ever, right? I mean, with phone calls, texts, uh, emails, tweets, status updates, facts, all that. But there's a commentator I came across, William Barclay, and, uh, and he noticed some recommendations uh, for Christians to follow before uh, they share something about something, something hurtful about someone. And uh, he recommends that we ask the following questions, and I, I found it to be very, very good. Number one, you have to ask, is it true? If it's true, it must not be. Uh, if, it's, if it's not true, it shouldn't be said at all, Right? But ask, is it true? Uh, the second question is, is it necessary? Is it necessary for you to repeat this? And uh, the third question is, is it kind? 
It's never one's duty to be unkind, even if it's the truth, right? Even uh, we are told in the New Testament that speak the truth in love. Because there's a, wrong, a right way and a wrong way to say the truth. But I mentioned Ephesians 4, 31 through 5, about speaking the truth in love. That's Ephesians 4, 15. But Ephesians 4, 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's ill will. Put away these evil words that come from your ill will. And be ye kind one to another. Notice that. And be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Let's look at uh, Proverbs 19.9. A false witness shall not be unpunished. And he that speaketh lies shall perish. When you repeat a word, that a gossip, and it's not true, or it's not kind, it's not necessary to repeat, you know, the, the word said, a false witness, what do you mean false? Something untrue? No, it may be true, but it may be false. It's not the way you think is true. It could be empty, it could be frivolous, it could be something that you think is true, yet you're repeating it anyway. 1 Peter 4.15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody, that's gossiper, in any in other men's matters. Leviticus 19.16, thou shalt not go up and down as a false, excuse me, as a talebearer among thy people. Talebearer, telling stories on different people. Well, let me give you the scoop about so-and-so. And they go from tent to tent to tent, you know, and it, and it continues. Proverbs 16, 28. A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. You have two people, the friends, and a whisperer. Come here. I want to tell you something in secret. Don't tell anybody else. You know that guy you're friends with? Man, he's not what you think he is. Don't tell anybody I said this. whisper separateth chief friends. That's kindred to sowing discord among brethren. Proverbs 18.8 The words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly meaning the innermost being of a person. Don't be telling lies on your neighbor. Don't be using empty, frivolous, untrue words that are true. Proverbs 25, 18, a man that beareth false witness against his neighbor is a maul, means a hammer, and a sword, and a sharp arrow. It's all those three. To magnify the effect of a false witness. Proverbs 26, 20. Where no wood is, there's the, there the fire goes out. So where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceaseth. Got strife? There's some stories going on. And the, and the stories going on usually is to stir up more trouble because some people 
want to divide and conquer. They have a purpose of stirring up trouble and strife. So that's gossip. Now, there's, there's another aspect of, of, of false witness, that's slander. It's thinking and sharing something about a person that tears down his or her reputation. And in fact, the Numbers chapter 14, verse 36, we see uh, this, this same word used uh, where the 12 spies came back from uh, 40 days uh, searching out the promised land. And 10 of them came back and, uh, and said that, uh, that uh, we cannot take the land. There's giants on the land and, and it's, they're too strong for us. We're grasshoppers on our own eyes. Interestingly, when you read about those spies, um, he not only condemned the congregation to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, uh, but, but in verse 35, I'll start there, it says, uh, that's Numbers 14, and I don't, I don't have the scripture given you, I don't believe, but I, the Lord, have said, he said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. And verse 36, speaking now of those spies, And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land. Even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. Those 10 men never made it through the 40 years of wandering. They died by a plague before that because they were slandering the name of God and the promise of God. And they destroyed a whole generation of people who could have and who were actually destined for the promised land. And they destroyed them through slander by the words that they said. That's why in Psalms 101 verse 5, it says, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. Proverbs 10, 18, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. Psalms 101 verse 7, He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. Slander. False statements. Frivolous, empty, useless words. And then besides gossip and slander, there's suggestive hints or insinuations that arouses bad impressions of someone, stirring an idea that, that may be true about somebody, but you don't have any proof really. You're just guessing. Exodus 23, one says, Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Then besides suggestive hints or insinuations, exaggeration and blown up flattery, stretching the truth about a person or excessively praising someone is part of, of this meaning of this word of a false witness. It's exaggerating truth. 
Proverbs 20, verse 19. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets, therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Notice the context, talebearing, slander, it's gossip, and it's false statements, but it's flattery. He really doesn't mean it, and what he's saying is really is not true. He's just saying it to make the other person feel really good, to boost their ego. I've seen many people say you know, to kings, instead of telling them the truth, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, live forever. Live forever. You know, I get it. It's just part of that, you know, those protocols. You know, make them feel better. Uh, Proverbs 29.5, A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. And Psalms 12.3, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. So, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Ecclesiastes 12.13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The very foundation of society is truth. And God is calling you and I to be honest with one another and with Him. The truth is that our tongue is our biggest trouble. Someone has said that nothing is opened by mistake more often than the mouth. It's true. And the truth is, we need the help of God's Spirit to control it. Control our tongue. James 3.2 says that if we can control our tongue, the smallest member in our body, then we can bridle the whole body. That's important. It's another reason why we, we teach this in doctrine. This is why God has used tongues as the initial evidence. Spirit coming in, because if he can control our tongue, then he can control all members of our body. If we yield this, we can be powerful. Hallelujah. Because power and life is in the power of the tongue, the Bible says. Life is in the power of the tongue, or destruction. Jesus said it's by our words that we will be condemned or by words we will be justified because whatever we have said is written down on record. And I don't mean literally. God doesn't need a book. He's got it all here. And he's not forgetful like we are. He remembers through hundreds of years and thousands of years. That's why he remembered Amalek's sin after 450 years. And he comes to King Saul and said, I remember what Amalek did when Israel came out of Egypt. Now I want you to go and wipe them out. I want you to execute judgment, my judgment upon them because of what they did when you couldn't help yourself. But now you can. You all have a king. You got an army. And you've got me beside you. And we're going to beat these groups. We're going to wipe them out because that's my judgment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand with me, if you will. See, our tongue is important. We've got to bridle our tongue so we can bridle the whole body, and that's why God gave us the Holy Ghost. Speak in tongues. Jude 20 says, build up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. The truth is that we can talk in tongues more than talking about our neighbor. 
that we will not have any time to tear them down and speak evil of them. Right? So we need to pray. Let the Holy Ghost move through us. Aren't you glad that Jesus loved us? Loved us enough to forgive us? There's an old song that came to mind. Hallelujah. I've been singing it before church. Sister Switzer, you know that. I know some of you may know it. Oh, why did he love me so? Why did he love me so? Why did the Savior to Calvary go? Why did he love me so? I'm so glad for this, some of these old songs. Hallelujah. Praise God. Give, give me a lower key. Uh, maybe everybody else can sing it. Hallelujah. I'm not an expert, but I love to sing. Besides, the Lord does say, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Mm, it's not for you, it's for him. Praise God. You just get to hear it. <laughs> you got to feel because I feel the Lord of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, why did he love me so? Why did he love me so? Why did the Savior to Calvary go? Why did he love me so? Would you lift your hands and just praise him? Lord God, thank you. Thank you for overlooking our sin. Not overlooking, but forgiving it. You judged it on Calvary. And we were baptized in your name. It was all washed away. The evidence of everything we've ever done wrong and said wrong. But Lord God, you have made us aware of this commandment to let us realize how serious lying is. Help us, therefore, Lord God, to be more and more filled with your spirit than ourselves that our tongue may be controlled, that it would be under your influence, oh God, that we can use it to season our speech with salt, that we may use it to speak the truth in love and use it to edify and build up each other and not to tear anyone down. Help us, O oh Lord God, to fulfill this commandment for still part of your moral law without which a church, society, 